You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And at last, I'm able to bring you this conversation with Joe DeRosa, which was very much the lost episode of the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. It was recorded at the Edinburgh Festival 2016 outside a CAF. So you should hear some quite pleasant uh, wild track of uh, of CAFE background comings and goings. Um, And I physically lost the episode. I uh, misplaced it somewhere and uh, it took me a long time to find it. And uh, initially I forgot that I had to look for it. And then I did look for it. And, you know, it it became a, a tiresome administrative story which I won't go into now but ultimately I have it and I'm very pleased to bring it to you so with apologies to Mr. Joe DeRosa uh, for leaving him off the list for so long I can at last now bring you the show and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it he's a very different voice he's uh, kind of we talk a lot about punk and music and the uh, the influence that has on his comedy and he has integrity and we talk about his refusal to kind of toe the comedy party line uh, and and just hear about the reflection of his real life in his work. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode uh, with an excellent comedian, and uh, and I'll say no more. I'll chat to you in the middle bit. This is Joe DeRosa. You do your own podcast, but yeah. you don't enjoy the act of... Which aspect is it? I mean, I you know, I, I feel lucky to, to have a podcast, and, and I, I do enjoy the fact that people listen and and care about what myself and my co-host Pat Walsh, you know, think and have to say about horror movies and other things, particularly horror movies. But uh, I don't listen to podcasts, so there is always going to be that element where I, even though I do enjoy doing it uh, and 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 appreciate having a listenership for it, uh, there's always that part of me that doesn't quite understand why or how it's working, because I wouldn't listen to it. That's very, you know, the truth. I don't listen to any podcasts at all. I just can't. I mean, maybe it's because I talk for a living. Uh, but just the idea of sitting and listening to people talking is not interesting to me in any way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, you, I mean, presumably there is an element to which you enjoy saying that to, like, open a podcast interview by kind of saying, hey there, podcast listeners. You know, there's uh, got to be there's something quite delicious about that, about going, yeah, I hope you're enjoying this, but you're all, f-, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not shitting on these people. I'm not saying you're, you're, you know, lesser than, than, than I am intellectually because you enjoy it or something like that. I just don't particularly enjoy it. 
So I don't understand. It's like sports to me almost in a, in a way. Yeah. Uh, like I don't watch sports at all because I don't. I just don't get it. But have I don't, you tried? I've, I've tried. Yeah, I've tried. I can't get into it. <laughs> I've tried with podcasts. So I don't defame or demean people that like podcasts. I just don't get it. It's not my thing. Uh, but I do love horror movies. So. I like doing my podcast because I get to talk about horror movies, and it's this great added bonus that people actually want to listen to it. That's very yeah. nice. And it's very fun when you do a live one, which we've only done one, but when you get to do a live one and there's the audience, now now it feels like a thing is happening yeah. to me. But, you know, uh, I mean, this is... I'm in awe that people... I mean, I'm not saying because you're not good at this. I mean, this is your thing, but... If anybody sees my name and goes, oh, I want to listen to that, I'm like, that's very weirdly flattering and confusing to me. Do you uh, do you engage with the listenership of your horror podcast? Do you answer emails and stuff like that? Uh, we don't really get emails, but yeah, we you know we respond to the fans whenever we can. We get Twitter and stuff like that, and we get requests to talk about certain movies, and we we try to we try to cover those and attend to those as best we can, and we try to stay in touch with the fans. We've got a few really diehard people that, that really write to us a lot per every episode, but uh, you know, it's, it's fun going out and meeting people in one way or another. Do you watch much TV? No. No, I watch a lot of movies, uh, and when I do watch TV, it's strictly binge-watching. Uh, anything from, you know, that's either a DVD box set that I purchase, or something on Netflix or Amazon or whatever that I can watch episode after episode but I never I don't have cable I don't I don't sit in front of the TV I don't flip through the channels okay um, and what would you say then is the most what do you do most often with your leisure time when you're not on the road when you're not gigging how do you uh, like to unwind my my, my leisure t- drinking is for very fun <laughs> I enjoy going out to bars with my friends and having having drinks and things. I love buying music. I'm an avid, avid music fan and collector. Okay. So I, I buy vinyl incessantly. Uh, not, I am one of those people that doesn't buy it out of the... I, I appreciate the trendiness of it now because it's been made readily available, but I'm not buying it for that reason that's just allowed me to indulge my appreciation more because I am one of those people that really does think it does sound better like I do like yeah, it right. better and it's more of an experience so so I, I really enjoyed doing that I, I could go to record stores literally every day and dig through crates and, and whatever I also really enjoy shopping for for films horror movies mainly I have a really okay. extensive Blu-ray and, and DVD collection um and then just, you know, I, I write, too. I write short horror fiction. So, you know, that's pretty... That Even though that's kind of work, it's like, that's kind of leisure time for me. And Okay. And do you, you publish know, the, your, your horror fiction? Fangoria.com, the website. Okay. Under the magazine is Fangoria. It's Fangoria is a magazine in the States. It's yeah, like yeah, the I Rolling think, Stone. I think we of, either get it here or used to. I've certainly seen it. Yeah, before. it's like the Rolling Stone of horror movie magazines. So they put our podcast out there, Network does, and uh, the website publishes my stories Okay, once a month. We just started. I think the second one is, like, about to come out. Okay. Um, so we'll be doing that for a while, and, I mean, that's... 
fun, you know? I noticed when you were on stage, I saw your show on Saturday night, and uh, you were wearing a Motorhead t-shirt, specifically Motorhead England, yeah. which I thought was an interesting move in Scotland. I don't know if that had occurred <laughs> to you at the time. <laughs> uh, no, it's just... I love Motorhead. And I think Mickey D, the second drummer, was from Scotland. Okay, okay. So I felt like that was okay. You'd get through on a technicality. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the amount of rare Motorhead vinyl I've found in Scotland... Yeah, for dirt cheap is insane. Excellent. It's okay, insane. And is that is that is that typical of your your music taste? Are you specifically into like metal and rock, or hard rock and stuff like that? I like I like all kinds of stuff. If I had to narrow it down to to the stuff I like the most, at least right now, uh, I, I I love I love gangster rap so much. I love I love provocative rap. Yeah. Uh, anything in the in the hardcore. Zone, not so much newer stuff, but you know, I'd say stuff. Uh, the stuff I really love is two thousand backwards from there. Okay, year two thousand back. Um, that's my favorite stuff. So I, I still explore that music greatly and and try to learn and, and listen to as much of it as I can. And then I also really, really like old, uh, like early eighties. Uh, late 70s American for the most part punk rock bands okay uh, and I like the English bands too but there's just something about the American sound like like that old Black Flag stuff and yeah Minor threat, oh, I saw you whatever. tweet. You saw Henry Rollins the other night. Yeah, how was that? I've been trying to get Henry on the show for a long time. He won't come on. I'm a huge, it, I'm a lifelong Henry Rollins fan. It was incredible. It, was, it changed. It was it was a game changer for me. Yeah, as a performer to see that live and to see. He's doing what I want to do. Yeah, well, I want to do like that. I want to perform like that. The, the 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 funny part of comedy was always a technicality for me. You know, it was it was always it was always something that I had to do to be able to talk about the stuff I wanted to talk about, or it's always been. So there's a certain pressure that comes from. There's got to be a certain amount of laughter because you're a comedian. If I had my way. And maybe one day I will. I'd much rather be a guy like Henry Rollins who can basically perform his writing. And then it also happens to be humorous because he's a charming and funny person. Yeah. But the emphasis is not on comedy. If there was a, like, if there was a spoken word circuit that paid the same as the comedy circuit, right? That would be your. That would be where you'd want to be at. I, I would. I would switch today, and that's not out of any disrespect for to comedy. I love comedy. I've been a fan of comedy probably before I was a fan of anything. Um, what were the what were the first comedy things you remember seeing when you were a kid? I mean, the one that really resonates is when I saw Bill Cosby himself when I was very young. I was probably five or six when I saw that movie, and my parents and I watched it. And he, it was all stuff about him and his kids, and getting frustrated with your kids and your kids not listening and hitting your kids and all this stuff. And my parents and I laughed, were laughing equally hysterically in the living room watching it and that, that really affected me because I was like at the time I didn't fully understand how profound that was but now looking back I'm like my god the guy was doing comedy that a six year old and a and a 36 year old thought were yeah was equally hilarious for completely different reasons did that did that was that an unusual time for you and your family to all be laughing together that feels like a very yes. kind of 
passionate, got a, a very what like a, a therapist would call that some sort of like a cornerstone it was experience. That, it was because we very much reflected what he was talk as a family reflected what he was talking about in the in the stand up special, which was a lot of yelling and people not listening. And okay, well, did you have a large family? No, it was just me and my parents. Extended family was a, was a decent size at one point. A lot of them have died at this point, but. Uh, but no, my household was me and my parents, and I was adopted. I almost had more of a of a sort of a sibling sibling uh, relationship with my parents. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, they're my parents, and I look at them as my parents, and I respected them as my parents. But the the it's a very different dynamic when you're the only child. It's a very it's a very candid because that's it. There's no there's no older brother to go to and say, I tried pot in college. I just told my parents, you know, I was like, yeah, I smoke pot now. And they were like, well, what? And I was like, yeah, there's nothing you can do. I'm 18, but I'm just letting you know, I smoke pot. I won't do it in the house. And they were like, okay, well, we don't, I'm not crazy about that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's just a very different, at least for me it was. But before we get too down, too far down that road, I want to say, you know, me saying I want to switch styles or whatever or wish I could again it's not any disrespect to stand up comedy I'm a huge fan of comedy and I have an immense admiration for the art form and it is something I enjoy doing and I want to be doing but I think in a perfect world to me I, 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 I it would be nice to take the focus off of the laughter put the focus more on the content and then have the laughter be the added bonus to it. I would really enjoy that. Yeah, I think, I it think would open up the writing a little bit. I'd be surprised if any comedians kind of took offense at that or took a professional offense at it. I mean, to me, that sounds like a really... Well, many comics... I don't know if, if take offense is the right term, but many comics go, you know, have the mentality of like, well, you're a comic. Just be funny. Shut up. Nobody cares. And it's like, yeah, I don't... That's not what attracted me to it. What attracted me to it was George Carlin... And this guy that was, who has admittedly said he performed, he was a writer that performed his writing. And it's very obvious when you watch it that that's what's going on. And I just really got off on that. Like a guy giving his opinion to people, whether those people agreed with it or not, which, uh, you know, he's very counterculture. So a lot of the time I'm assuming people didn't. But have you, have you got, uh, bits of material that you've developed over how long have you been a comic now 15 years almost 15 years and do you have bits of material that you feel have done that job do you have bits of material that you that you've thought yeah the laughs are there but i'm also saying exactly what i wanted to say yeah yeah that you, you do get those and and it's great when that happens so that's the other side of it and that makes me wonder if i didn't have to sort of work it through this equation of comedy maybe I would actually get lazier or maybe I would it would be less re rewarding because I yeah. will say there's nothing more rewarding to me than when you somehow fit you know I have a big chunk in my act right now about death and my fear of death and there's a part in there about suicide too that's where the premise because I don't have time to go into it is more or less some people should commit suicide. Uh, 
and you'll just have to hear the bit sure. to understand. Yeah, yeah, I've heard the bit. It's a good bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm sure somebody heard me just say that and was like, what? <laughs> it's okay. <But laughs> my point is, is like bits like that are things that I've tried before and didn't work. People walk out, you know. When I first started doing the suicide bit, people were walking out of the show in relevant enough numbers that it was upsetting me after the show I was like oh god you know so then when you finally click and you get it to work and they're laughing and they get where you're coming from Mm. that's really an amazing thing you know the death stuff I tried for a long time to talk about that because it is a really crippling fear that I have and it was always too dark you know I tried talking about depression and it was too dark and then eventually I would figure out how to talk about these things and when you get people laughing, and then people sometimes come up to you after the show and saying, hey, man, thanks for talking about anxiety. That was like mm. really, you know, the anxiety material I have is actually not doing as well here as it does in the States because I think it's a different mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Even mentioning, like you said on stage about having a therapist and you said, so yeah. who else is in therapy? And like two people admitted it on the night I saw. Right. There's a different feeling, you know, not everyone. It, it's... It, I don't think people feel ashamed or secretive about it. It's just something that you wouldn't mention in public. It's, right. they, they were probably all thinking, oh, I wasn't expecting to be asked that question. Exactly. So, but there was a night, I keep doing it because there was a night where a kid came up to me and went, he's like, uh, this is my best accent attempt, but he's <laughs> like, ah, oh, mate, thanks for the bit about anxiety, you know, thank you. That And it, and it was like, that's a really special moment to have with somebody. Yeah. I've had that the most with that joke out of anything. People come up and go, dude, thank you for doing that bit. Like, my wife has terrible anxiety, and that really made her feel like it was okay and, like, and that she could laugh about it. And Why, when so you that's say, nice. When you say that's the, that's the bit that has most earned that response from people... Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because... Because if you, obviously if you're talking about kind of therapy and suicide and death and other things which people are, you know, have like deep-seated worries about, it's, why do you think it's the anxiety stuff that they're particularly responding to? Is that because it's less usual? Or, well, I or get, my guess would be that it's, it has to do with what you just said about like people going, oh, well, I, we don't talk about that. Yeah. You know, and I don't think it's a taboo thing necessarily, but I certainly think... It's sort of ingrained into everybody if you're out in public and amongst strangers and meeting new people, especially, or for a fun night out with old friends or whatever it is, you know, nobody's going, hey, guys, you know, I'm really having these panic attacks. <laughs> like, I, I, some, Does anybody else have a hard time getting out? No, no, no. Hold on. Before you blow out the birthday candles. Does anybody else not want to get out of bed in the morning? You know what I mean? Like, so it's it's one of those things where I think, like, when you see somebody make light of it, not make light of it, but but talk about it in a, yeah. in a humorous way where it's where it becomes relatable suddenly and human, it's probably, I guess, relieving for somebody. I never would have expected that. I thought I was the only one that knew what I was talking about. And then people started coming up to me and saying, hey, that, man, that, that really hit me. That experience that you portray there of kind of being in a bar with your friends and no one's mentioning it, is that, is, do you mean that to, to describe the, what it's generally like in our culture or do, does that also resonate for your experiences of being out? You mentioned you know, you like going out and drinking with your friends. I does think that, that's does, anywhere. I think that's anywhere. It's, it's, it seems a little more uh, present here, but I think sure. that's anywhere. I think that's you know, I think if you're out to have a good time, you're out to have a good time. Look, America has its 
um, superficialities, obviously. Uh, It's very obvious, you know. I'm not saying anything new. But we just have them in different ways, you know. Yeah. So as much as somebody from, as much as a therapy enthusiast from America might look at the non-discussion of, you know, or the or the or the sort of coiling up at the mention of anxiety here as being maybe superficial to certain people, and going, well, that's you should be able to talk about that. That's the human condition or whatever. I don't feel that way. But there are definitely people that would, you know? I suppose. And, but in America, it's just a different perspective. It's like, no, you guys feel the same way we do about that stuff. It's just you react to it differently. You step back from it differently. Here, it's kind of like, you know, things button up a bit and people seem to get a little silence. Like, yeah. well, we don't talk about that. I think what I'm, what I'm driving at is I'm, I, I want to ask whether you and your drinking buddies, have you, whether you personally well, have a culture where you can discuss... Your that's kinda, with, I think you that's, have a forum for that among your I friends. I mean, of course, they're my real friends, so of course, if I needed to, we could. Okay. But I, I, I guess the point I was getting at was Scotland may have the sort of button-lipped reaction to the mention of anxiety yeah, and that. things. Yeah. America's reaction is more like, dude, it's cool, you're great. But, but, you know what I mean? So it's the sort of, it's a different reaction, but it's the, I see. It's still the same. It, it doesn't get to, it doesn't get anywhere. It's the same outcome. Yeah. In, in America, it's just a fake positive pep talk. Yeah. You know, whereas here, it's just silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, in neither case, are they going, talk to me about that then? Exactly. So yeah. my point is, is like anybody that wants to talk about those things could go, well, that's superficial or that's superficial. or yeah. that, And it's like, yeah, but... It's just a thing people don't like to talk about. You know, you're out. It's time to have fun. I mean, it's not a 3 a.m., two-hour, heart-to-heart discussion with your, you know, Siamese twin that you were separated from birth with. And, you know, because you're in your grandmom's house and she just died and you're up and trying to, you know, it's not, that's not it. It's like everybody's like, dude, I was at work all day, man. I hate my job. I'm not crazy about my life. I'm trying to have some fun. How about you not be a downer right now? (laughs) So that all being said, that is why it is rewarding when you can talk about those things and they do start to work. And suddenly now we're all laughing about anxiety or suicide or whatever. And it's like, wow, this, we got to a place here right now. This was hard. This was not easy. There were a lot of people walking out for months before we got here. Yeah. You know, so this this is very rewarding. So this is Joe. Really fascinating to talk to him and get his take on all of it. Uh, you can catch up with a lot of his stuff online. Uh, I don't know if he's released anything uh, since we had this conversation, but a simple typing of his name into a search engine, as you well know. I mean, these days, who even provides links to things? I should. Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm forever listening to other podcasts and they say, I'll link to that in the show notes. And there's very little, there's very few links in my show notes. I try to keep things easier for Daryl, but more importantly for myself, reasoning that if you want to 
look up what Joe DeRose is up to recently you can just type his name into a search engine but I feel like I should do something in the, ser- in, the in the show notes so look in the show notes and I will have attempted to do my best so uh, more from Joe in a sec I've got an email I want to read to you and uh, and also I should tell you the t-shirts uh, we're now for the whole of October the uh, t-shirt post sale is happening so I, I, I did this pre-sale a couple of months ago before Edinburgh eventually people got their t-shirts and very kindly took pictures of them and, uh, and sent them in Hey, listen, I know I talked about being unfit. You might hear I'm slightly out of breath now. This is allergy related. So if you hear me just slightly wheezing like that, um, I am having a a little asthmatic moment. Uh, Please don't think that I am so unfit that I cannot finish a sentence. It might get that bad one day, but it isn't that bad just yet. So as I was saying, um, we had a bunch of T-shirts. They went out. Eventually uh, they they got printed and went out. And uh, and so what I'm going to do is is now throughout the whole of October, we're launching a post-sale. So if you go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash, what is it, merch? I think it's merch. Let's say merch unless you hear differently. And uh, you can, throughout the whole of October, order your T-shirt. It's the same one as went out before at a, a fractionally higher price to reward those people who got in quick. And then I feel like when they're gone, they're gone. I'm going to do that for October. Beginning in November, I'll, I'll get them all printed. You will have them in your hands, I solemnly promise, by the 1st of December. Uh, so if you want them as Christmas gifts for anyone else, you've got uh, the whole month of October to secretly find out that person's size. There will be some lady sizes available, although uh, we had an issue with the printing last time whereby we were told a lot more lady sizes were available than were but what I mean is it's worth checking out because there will definitely be some lady sizes and I will do my best to source t-shirts to fulfil the other ones so that's the Polly Becker thanks man design that you might have seen people putting in the Facebook group uh, or indeed on Twitter or they might have just run up to you at a comedy festival and we were going to come up with a little hand gesture weren't we we had a couple of suggestions on the Facebook group I might resurrect that because I never quite came to a conclusion some sort of gesture that you could use if you saw someone wearing a ComCom t-shirt from the first or second batches uh, that you could do a little physical symbol at them and go uh, oh yeah you're one of us oh I'm one of you too will we get on not necessarily but there we are Um, so so, uh, we'll get into that so go go to uh, comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch and you can uh, put in your order and then after that yeah I think that's going to be them I was sort of thinking about printing some random size ones to go on tour with me when the tour kicks off next spring I may do that I may not I might make the tour ones a different colour um, which you can either decide to you can either prefer or not that's, that's a weird idea isn't it if I make some of them black and then the ones you've got later are grey the idea being, oh, this will next time this will make people jump in quicker and buy buy t-shirts. Um, but uh, the, the grey ones might look better, and then I've punished the people who <laughs> who got in early. So maybe we won't do that. I've talked myself out of it. Um, but there we go. There's that. If you would like to support the show with a donation, you know how to do that. Since some of you will know, I have recently switched from uh, iOS to Android. I've uh, got rid of my iPhone and got myself a sweet little uh, Android phone. Um, I have suddenly been made aware that there are loads and loads of podcast apps, rather than on iTunes, where there's like the one main one. You can listen to others, but you know, obviously iTunes is. The the daddy um, or the mummy, um, the the senior figure. So um, so you can uh, uh, you can do that on on iOS, on iTunes, on your iPhone. Everyone basically goes through that one thing. On Android, there's hundreds of others. So if you are listening via 
Cast Box or what are some of the other ones? Uh, they're called Podcast Addict, Player FM, Audible. You can do podcasts via Audible. Um, apparently, can you? Well, maybe not. Um, but uh, all of those sorts of things. If you're listening on those, then do us a favour and, uh, and chuck me a review on those or put something in the comments because I've noticed very, very few people bother doing that. It's a really good way to, to keep my show visible, as visible as possible um, in the face of... A huge amount of the podcast market now, which seems to be spin-offs from existing television shows and radio shows who already have an enormous fan base. So I don't mean spin-offs, like re- rebroadcasts of. So, um, you know, I'm not expecting that we will one day top the charts of the Friday Night Comedy Show from Radio 4. But, um, but the more visible this show gets, the better. Because, you know, it's a fierce, plucky little indie, which means I record these blurbs under a duvet. So um, if you fancy supporting the show like that, you can do that of course you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate as you well know thank you to everyone who has donated recently and you can do that in a subscri- in a recurring subscription way or in a one-off donation as again you know however i wanted to read you this email because this is do you know i'm going to save this email for the end I'll, I'll chat to you i'll talk about this email in the post amble i've said enough already and i'm itching as i'm sure you are to get back to this conversation with joe DeRosa. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Have you ever tried doing? Like we were talking about Rollins before. Have you tried doing spoken word? Have you tried doing stuff without yeah. the onus to be funny? I've tried it. I've tried it, but I try. I, I, but not at the right times. I would try to close my act with long, you know, sort of twenty-minute diatribe things in a comedy club. Yeah. Or sometimes I would just go on stage and get a free show, non-paid show, and and try to do it there for my 15 minutes that I had or whatever. I didn't know how to do it at all. I didn't know how to do it at all. If I were to try to do it now, what I would do is I would, I would either do it as a residency where I was working on stuff every week somewhere, or I would go on stage and say to the audience, like, Disclaimer: I'm trying to kind of move in a different direction here with this stuff, so it's not going to be whatever. So just, can I just do this? You know, and I didn't know how to do that before. I would also pick my spots. I wouldn't be doing it at a comedy club on a Saturday night. Sure, I'd be doing it at a coffee house on a Tuesday night. You know, so do you think there are? Do you think there are different sort of? Um 
I'm kind of the more I the more I experience of American comedy and the sort of the lesser known over here American comedy. Like we know a lot of the big guys in in the UK. Although I, I suppose on the comedy circuit, everyone knows Carlin and you know Pryor and stuff. I think in terms of American comics that my parents could name, there's sort of almost none. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. But um, yeah. the more I dig into American comedy, I'm just wondering whether there are sort of I know what alt comedy is, or I've heard alt comedy described. There's sort of flavors of different types of comics. Like someone like yourself who talks about, you know, death and despair and therapy and stuff like that as well, you know, in a very funny way. And I really enjoyed the show. I thought the Jeffrey thanks. Dahmer stuff was fantastic. Oh, you know, thank you. <laughs> good gear. Thanks. thanks. Um, but um, I, I wonder of the different kind of uh, products, if you'll excuse the expression, of American comics that we get over here, there are kind of political comics and there are kind of squeaky clean kind of you know on my way to being massive kind of comics right do you do you identify yourself as sort of fitting into a particular camp and to put a particular style are there other other kind of comics that you would be on a almost like if you booked a show of the sorts of things you do i mean as far as guys that are famous and much more notable and established than i am you know i certainly relate to the doug stanhopes of of comedy more than the the Jim Gaffigans. Yeah. But I love Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. I think okay. he's hilarious. And, uh, you know, I love Brian Regan. I think he's hilarious. But I wouldn't put myself in the same category, you know? Like, it's just a different... I think comedy doesn't get... Comedy needs to be a little more diversified, you know? I, us, I always use the music example. You know, if you're, uh, you know... If you're Slayer, you play really hard thrash metal and really dark groove metal. It's like you don't try to do the same shit Katy Perry's doing. You might not have a problem with Katy Perry. You might even like Katy Perry. I don't know. But you don't try to do the same shit she's doing. And the problem with comedy, to me, is if we were all musicians the average comedy bill would be like Slayer and then Katy Perry yeah, and then Loudon Wainwright and then Rufus Wainwright so it kind of made sense for a second there <laughs> and then Biohazard and then Ice Cube and you're like sure this doesn't make any fucking sense yeah because people are going out tonight to see music <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like you know I just went to see the Art of Rap tour and it made sense mm. it was it was Curtis Blow, then Mob Deep, then uh, Ice T, then EPMD, then Public Enemy. And I was like, "Yeah, this all fits. Yeah, this all locks together perfectly. This is brilliant." You know, and it's like when I went to see Smoke and Grooves in the '90s, it was Cypress Hill and Gangstar and Buster Rhymes and Wyclef and groups that all made sense with the tone of smoking grooves and weed and you know like it all kind of just fit in together you know uh and i think comedy gets treated all the time like a lollapalooza kind of thing where it's like well let's throw everybody together it'll be fine and Mm. it's like well sometimes that works but you know it wouldn't hurt to break this up a little bit a little more frequently you know so um it always shocks me that there's also this self-hatred, I think, among in the comedy world, where the second you start trying to define what you do, trying to describe what you do, trying to analyze it in any way, then suddenly you're an idiot, and you're pretentious, and you're this, and you're that, and you need to shut your mouth, and all these things. And it's like, 
You know, I get it, man. Anybody, anybody talking uh, too self-importantly about what they do with too too much admiration for what they do, yeah, it's gross. It's stupid. But for Christ's sakes, like, you can analyze your own stuff. You can say, like, when I go out on stage, my goal is to be this type of comedian because that's what I like. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? But it's there's very little talk of it, you know. Do you why do you why do you think that is? Given that we are all anyone doing comedy is I, I think an artist, whether they know it or not, or whether they consider themselves an entertainer, whatever, we're all creating something. Why do you think it is that that there there is a, a culture as you descri- as you describe it, sort of? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But um, you've mentioned a couple of times the idea of kind of other comics, almost like ganging up on. You know, people who who want to self-identify or who want to sort of... I think it's... I think it's... I don't know. I don't know. I think it's... You know, I think comedy should be looked more at... Look, looked at more like uh, music in general than a specific genre of music. And I think right now it's looked at as a specific genre of music. I think comedy is, is similar to uh, punk rock, or at least the way punk rock was at one point where it's like these are the rules this is how it goes and if you don't do these rules or follow these rules well then you're a sellout or whatever term you want to put on it the terms are different in comedy but it's like okay but as we've watched punk rock grow over the years and you watch a band for example like Green Day go from being an underground sweatbox pop punk uh, club band to being their own thing over here and it's like yeah okay so Green Day is like a rock band now that's fine they're not they're not in that world anymore you know what I mean I think that's what happens with comedy and instead of just going guys we're not all doing the same thing like many of us are doing things that a lot of us disapprove of hmm. and by the way I'm way more on the fucking the old school punk mentality side of things you know like I don't like what a lot of comedians do uh, and I don't mean that on I don't mean on stage artistically I just mean as human beings what sorts of things what do you mean I think a lot of comedians are really self-serving they're really demeaning people um, you know there's 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 a certain fraternity or sorority mentality in comedy that we all need to stick together, which I do agree with uh, for the most part. But Henry Rollins said something yesterday that just hit me like a fucking freight train. He goes, I don't believe in unity anymore. Unity doesn't work. And he's right. And it's like, I'm kind of tired of this idea that like we all have to stand together as comics, yet so many comics I know turn and turn and eat their own and you know, would slit the throat of their sorority sister or fraternity brother to get their next paycheck or to move forward, you know? It's happened to me. It's happened to a lot of comedians. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with comedians faking it on stage and doing things that aren't true. I don't agree with that. That's not the way I feel about it. That's okay, though. That's why I say, so let there be punk comedy and let there be pop comedy and let there be swing comedy and rap comedy and whatever and it's like so then you guys go over there and do the 
EDM stuff that I'm not into. I'm going to be over here with the guys I like hanging around with because I like what they're doing and we have a similar mentality. And it's just not there yet in comedy. It's not there yet. Comedy's still getting treated like one genre. You know, and it's it's comedy is rock and roll, sure, in the, but in the sense that rock and roll has expanded into several subgenres mm. at this point. And that's what comedians need to start recognizing. When, when you identify this, this sort of like a kind of frat house or sorority kind of feeling, I, I feel like I know what you mean. I don't know that it exists. Either it doesn't exist to the same extent in British comedy or I've just not experienced it. I don't ever feel like I've been... Uh, I don't know if we're talking about bullying or kind of victimized or, you know, people... Like, it, it feels like there's there's a lot more in, in U.S. comedy. There's just more comedians. There's probably more money at stake. There's, Everything's heightened. Well, there are more comedians. I don't know if there's more money at stake or not because you guys have a pretty good system over here. Uh, I never crunch the numbers, but, you know, there's there's money over here. Yeah. Which is nice. But um, And there's money in the States. But, I mean, you guys also haven't been, I'm assuming, inundated with... You know, fucking documentary every other month about the the plight of the comedian. I mean, it's it's you know, <laughs> yeah. Apart from this show, <laughs> yeah. Just every every month or two, I feel like there's some documentary comes out where it's just comedians talking about comedy and how yeah, yeah. important it is and how we're just this special breed and all this shit. And it's like, well, yeah. So we're fucking architects, man. You know, it's like. Stop! It annoys me. It, it really annoys me. It's a, it's an art form that, in its purest, is supposed to be, in my opinion, uplifting people and fighting for the little guy and the minority voice. And so many comedians use it to just celebrate themselves. I 100% agree with that. Really gross to me. And it's like that scene in. It's like that scene in Malcolm X in the movie when he like realizes Elijah Muhammad's impregnated all the women in the nation of Islam, and he just can't he can't believe it. Mm. And I, you know, and he's like, "But that's this is not. What are you doing?" And then he, there's that great scene where where Denzel Washington's talking to 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 I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy that plays Brother Baines, and he's like, and he starts repeating. The words, the speech he gave him in prison that roped him into the nation, where yeah. he's like, "This is God's word. This ain't no hustle yeah. and all that shit." And he's, you know, I feel like that's what comedy. I feel like there are guys that are like over here being like, "No, I'm like trying to do like, like good this, work like, somehow, like good work." And I'm yeah. not saying like I'm, we're going to change the world because as I sit here and talk about not being self-important, I also can't say we're supposed to change things. I don't mean it like that. Yeah. But there is, mean, it's almost there's an essential purity to like the purity. joy it's, of it's making people to be laugh. Rebellious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Rebellious. It's supposed to be mischievous and rebellious, just like punk rock is. Yeah. And and uh, there are just so many comics that use it as a way to just be like, Look, "Aren't I great?" Mm. And it's like, "No, you're not. You're not. And what you're doing is not that special. And stop worrying about your fucking notoriety." And your fame, and who likes you, and who doesn't, and stop, like stop. You know How? the fact that comedy clubs exist exist in malls. Yeah, and I've played them, and I'm not saying they've always been bad, but the fact that that exists, it's like, what? what? 
What is happening? How, how successful do you consider yourself as a comic? I mean, in my own... By my own definition of success, I consider myself successful. Like, I, I feel very lucky that I have any sort of relevance in the business. Uh, you know, meaning that people... There are people that have an interest in what I'm doing. I feel lucky about that. I feel lucky that when I, when I want to put out an album, I can put out an album. And I have opportunities to do that with different outlets if I want. You know, I'm doing my first hour special in a month or two, whatever it is, when we shoot. And I feel very lucky to get to do that. You know, I'm by far, I'm far from being, uh, far, far, far from being wealthy. You know, I don't own property. I rent. Uh, and that's not a choice. <laughs> it's just where I'm at. But my bank account's not empty. And I can wake up when I want to. And I can call my own work hours. And I don't have a boss. And it's been that way for about 13 of the 15 years. You know, and I have enough money to go buy the records I want to buy. And uh, I can buy the clothes I want to buy, you know. Uh, I don't have to just go to the sales rack anymore. <laughs> so that's nice. But to me, that the, these are big, those are monumental victories to me. Like, I, like, And it sounds like small potatoes, I'm sure, to most people. But I'm, uh, it's a good life, man. Like I'm not. I didn't. I didn't start doing this to be famous. I, I, like, if that comes with it, great. That's fine with me. But like, I don't have a goal to go be in a movie just to be in it. It's like I want to be in a movie I want to be in. You know? Do you think? Do you think that you would feel the same way about that stuff you said just a moment ago about? Um People mistreating the uh, the thing, mistreating the rebellion, using it self-serving, using comedy in a self-serving way. Do you think that? I think I'm asking, yeah, just about about you personally. Do you think you would feel that way if you had caught a bigger wave earlier on? If you were now super successful, would do you think you would? Be, and I'm not, you know, obviously no, no, you're no. successful. But do you know what I mean if you were massive? Do you think you would still maintain that kind of punk rock spirit of going? Look, I'm doing it's the right a, thing with this. It's a tough question. It's always a tough question to answer the 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 what if scenario, right? But I will say this: I think, with all confidence, I could have been on that wave. You know, I moved very quickly when I got I, within two years of starting comedy. I was doing it full time professionally. Under two years, I did my first Montreal Comedy Festival, New Faces, at a time when it still kind of meant something to do New Faces. Um, I did my first late night spot on TV on NBC a year and a half in. Like, it was, it moved very quickly. What prevented it from continuing to move that quickly was my insistence on doing the material I wanted to do and no longer wanting to do jokes about strip clubs and sex or, or, or whatever I had, was doing at that time that I just didn't feel like doing anymore. Okay. That without question, without question, held me, in some interpretations, held me back. In my interpretation... You stuck to what you believed in. Yeah. It, it helped me get to this place now where I'm living the life I want to live and doing the material I want to do. Yeah. But I've, I've walked away from things. I don't want to... Out of tact and professionalism, I won't get into details, but okay. like... I've walked away from 
some pretty crazy opportunities. And what did that feel like to walk to walk away from something knowing that? Great. If you walk away from it, no one will know that you walked away from it. Oh, I didn't care about that. I didn't care about that. If I wanted, pe- if I cared about that, I'd be naming names and doing all these sure. things right now. But it felt great to walk away. Just period. The general feeling it was. It felt great. It felt great to walk away without fear and go. Okay. Well, then maybe that thing will never happen. I don't care. I'd rather be happy. I'm not doing that. Sorry. Bye. And I didn't do it like a prick. I did it like a professional. That's a big uh, difference. Well, that's, that's a big difference. That's the thing, too. It's like I, I don't believe in torching bridges and, and whatever. Uh, but I also don't believe in diplomacy at all costs. You know, I'm a human being. I try to be as respectful a human being as I can be. And I try to be a professional in my job because I appreciate that I get to do this for a living. Who was, who was that New Faces era Joe DeRosa when you were, uh, like you were saying, doing material about strip clubs and stuff? Were you, do you think that's... Do you think you had hit upon, like, act, do you think you'd stumbled upon a particularly marketable version of yourself? Yeah, it was a lot of fake anger. You know, my anger now on stage only comes out in a moment where I actually get a little angry. You know, last night the audience wouldn't answer a question I kept <laughs> asking them. And then finally some guy was like, no, mate, we know what you're talking about. And I was like, then fucking answer me. <laughs> you know, and it was like, it was funny. It was a funny moment, but I was yeah. annoyed. But, like, I used to scream like that on stage for delivery purposes. Yeah. Uh, now, if I'm loud on stage, it's only a means to get attention if I need to get them worked up a little bit. Yeah. But I used to go on stage and be like, oh, I'm so pissed at this. I'll, I'll never forget this. This was, a, a you know, one of the many, you know, sort of career changing moments you have I walked off stage I when I first became friends with Bill Burr uh, he came down to meet me at Gotham Comedy Club in New York City and he said uh, I was all excited because I was like I made friends with a real comedian you know and I had other friends that were we were all doing it full time at that point but he was a guy that I had actually watched before I started. Yeah. So I was really like, oh, my God, I made friends with a guy that, like, I was a fan of. Like, mm-hmm. And uh, he came down to Gotham, and I saw him walk in while I was on stage, and I was killing. And I used to end with this, close with this thing about how much I hated text messages when they first came out. You know. I'm holding a phone. Why am I typing? You know. <laughs> Stupid. Right? I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying your diffident attitude towards the bit. <laughs> yeah. Not a great bit. But uh, but uh, I came off stage and I was just waiting for him to go, kid, you got it. Yeah. And he said, DeRosa, one day you're going to figure out what you're actually angry about. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, come on, dude. You're not that mad about that. And I was like... Yeah, I guess you're right. And he was like, yeah. He's like, you don't want to be the angry guy. Don't be the angry guy. It's, it's, it's cheesy. And I was devastated, but it was such good advice because it, it made me start slowly chipping away at like, okay, well, what do I really want to talk about? Yes. You know. But that angry guy was being offered lots of stuff. Is I wouldn't say mean? offered lots of stuff, I, but sure, I feel but it like was, it was that would have been my way. Yeah. That would have been my... It certainly would have meant, at, at the very least at the time, 
continual work in the clubs, steady work in the clubs of New York as a comic, which would have opened things up, I'm sure, for late night sets or whatever. And instead, I became what was probably known as a more inconsistent comedian in the clubs yeah. because I was trying to figure it out. And I was trying to get away from it. And I was just kept writing and writing and writing. And there were people that were immensely supportive through that on the, on the paying side of things. I mean, Louis Ferranda at Caroline's, Caroline at Caroline's, Greg Charles at Caroline's, Chris and Steve Mazzilli and Sean Flynn at Gotham. Um, at that time period, those were two venues that were like, dude, we get it. We get that you're doing something. We believe in you. We're with you. So I was lucky to have that, you know? And I was also smart enough that, like, you know, when I wouldn't... Well, no, that's not true either. There were times where I blew some opening spots for people. I was going to say, you know, I knew when to stop trying to. <laughs> but there were definitely times when I, when I tanked, a, tanked an opening spot. But I was lucky in the sense that I think most of those guys were pretty forgiving okay. for the same reasons. That's, that that the, format of like, uh, that's not something we have so much in the UK. Like, an op- it's like if someone's do I've seen this in Montreal. Someone does an hour, but it's an opening 10 and then they do 50. Right. And so the, the, the etiquette of that is you absolutely do your best stuff as the 10. Is that right? Yeah. Or like, you don't, you don't take risks. Yeah. And there were, most of the time I did, I was lucky that by the time I started doing opening spots, I was had a much better grasp on what I was trying to do. Okay. So people got behind me and brought me around that I think many of them knew I probably wouldn't get the breaks that certain other comics would get monetarily. Okay. Patton Oswalt was always incredibly supportive and he's still a friend. Burr was, you know, Burr's like a mentor and a brother to me at this point. Um uh, Chappelle, very lucky there, you know. Uh, you and, know these and, these were guys that just were like, "I like what you're doing, man. Like, come make yeah. some money with me." I was, you know, I was because and you and what you're suggesting is that they recognized in you the fact that you weren't taking that route of going. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the easy branding thing, be the angry guy, and get the money. I'm not they, saying I'm not saying that I'm not saying that because that. I'm not saying, like, they saw the genius in <laughs> no, me. I don't no, mean I it like that. <laughs> no, not so. I just mean, like, they... What is a cool thing for an older comic to do? Or they like, they just like me as a comic. Yeah. yeah. And, and they all kind of had this similar um, discussion with me at different times of, like, dude, you're going to figure this out. You're going to figure this out. And when you do, it's going to be great. And, again, at the time, it kind of... At, at moments it would hurt, but then at other moments it was very gratifying. It was like, this guy believes in me enough to know it's not perfect right now, and it's far from perfect right now, but he's going to let me continue to grow on his watch, and he's also going to pay me to do it, which is nice. A lot of the clubs in New York City were not like that. They were like, you better get on stage, you better fucking kill. Mm-hmm. You better kill within the guidelines that we want you to kill, which means don't say this, don't talk about this, don't be too dirty, whatever. And then it's like, and if you don't, then see it, dude, because the audience is always right. And guys like that didn't have that ad- attitude, you know. And when when you talk about working through the stuff, what does that look like? Are you are you writing exclusively on stage? Or you you said you before you're sitting and writing, you go and sit in a cafe or an office or something, and 
you know, I write, I write in all kinds of ways. Sometimes I write into a into a dictaphone or, or the recording app on my phone. Sometimes I sit at my computer and I literally write, you know. Uh, sometimes I just get a loose premise and I and I go, that's a short thing. I can just kind of throw that out on stage. All different ways, but I find for the most part the stuff that sticks and becomes something greater is the stuff that I sit down and write at my computer. Is that right? That's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected that from your style. Your style is very... Uh, from the gig that I saw, from the little I've seen on YouTube, your style is... Um, um, I, w- I don't know what quality of it is. There's some quality to it that I thought, oh, this is a... You know, you have a kind of a, an experienced quality to you that I thought, oh, this is probably one of those guys that gets an idea and goes up and works through it in the club. No. I'm interested to hear about the writing. So no, what, I'm not great at, at ad-libbing. What's your, what's your toolkit then for when you have an idea and you're trying to pull the funny out of it? Well, I just, I, you know, I, I, when I write at my... The best process for me has been when I write at my computer, then I'll take it on the, sta- the stage and do it. And, and a lot of the time what would happen is it would be too formal. Yeah. Again, wanting to just be able to just do it that way, but you couldn't, so... Uh, then I have to start to strip it down and figure out what part... To make it more conversational. Yeah, and what parts were funny and whatever. And then out of this structurally written proper thing or whatever would come the five-minute routine or whatever. Now, though, because I've been doing that a decent amount, like that, now I'm a little bit better at writing it in the way I would say it when I sit down to write it. So... Did a thing about the Olympics last night about how I don't I, I don't like the Olympic I hate it I don't give a shit it fucking bores me I don't care you know like people are like well, only a handful of people can do this I'm like well, only a handful of people can do astrophysics I don't want to watch them stand in front of a chalkboard and solve a equation I don't give a shit so I finally like wrote down all my thoughts on that and the way I wrote it in my on my computer yesterday and the way I performed it last night were pretty similar okay. Um, because I wrote it much more casually. But, you know, if I'm writing one of my stories, then it's a different, it's a completely different gear, you know? I don't write those like that. You know, those are written more like stories. <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. something you would read. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's, that's been what it's been. And when you, process. can you give us an example of something that you have edited out? Of your stand-up, something that you—I don't even really mean gave up on, but like something that wasn't working—and and so you cut it adrift. And and why? I think sometimes it's quite an interesting way to look at how people write by asking what, what stuff didn't make it. Yeah, you know, there's always stuff that just doesn't work as well as you hope it will or initially think it will. Um, I had a thing, you know, in the death material that I'm doing right now. There used to be a big chunk about what they do with your body afterwards after you die and your three options are burial mortuary or cremation and the idea that none of those things were inviting and here were all the different whatever I just you know I just never it it was interesting to me (laughs) like to think about and to talk about but it just never really hit and it was kind of slowing everything down and so you just cut it you know 
Like, oh, well. How long did you? How long did you keep trying on that before you? A while. Before you it. A while. But I didn't care about it enough to push it through. Yeah. The suicide bit, I believed in enough and I cared about enough that when it wasn't working, I was like, I have to put this has to work. Yeah. This is a good idea, and I I believe in the opinion that I'm saying right now. Yes. I do believe yeah. that if you're threatening to kill yourself to people, you're doing it for attention and you're being manipulative and it's shitty, so go kill yourself then. I do believe that. I also believe that if you're having thoughts and you're really worried about it, the quiet ones, who are the ones that always do it, you should go talk to somebody because that's terrible and nobody wants you to kill yourself. Sure. But the reason I can say go kill yourself to people that are loudly saying it is because you're not going to do it. This is, you're doing this for attention right now. And I really believe in that. So when people first didn't get what I meant by that, I was like, they, they will. I'll figure this out. Yeah. That was worth sticking it through. And so maybe what was lacking in the, uh, in the cremation or, you know, the post thing was like the lack of a clear attitude in that same sort of way, like the desire to... Well, you can't force an attitude into something. You know, my friend Jared Logan often says, you know, comedians, we, all, we always try to make everything global, you know? Yeah. It just Sometimes it's just a bit. <laughs> sometimes it's just a joke, you know? <laughs> and I agree with that. So if it's like, you know, the joke about burial versus cremation versus mortuary wasn't that funny... And I certainly and wasn't, didn't have an opinion on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had an opinion on it, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, it wasn't a strong enough opinion that I was like, this is something I feel I need to express. Yes. So I just, yeah. So there yeah. it goes. You know, that's the kind of stuff that usually gets dropped. I, I, I also will drop usually like small stuff, short, shorter stuff that doesn't, you know, I'm big on creating longer pieces. So if I have something small that doesn't really fit in anywhere, I don't know what to do with it. That's stuff I'll usually set aside for, you know, Saturday at the improv when you have to do 12 minutes and it's sold out and people are having drinks. It's like, okay, now I can do those, like, short things I have. Okay. Because I need to get laughs right now. And they're funny and I believe in them, but they don't have a place in the bigger hour because they're just distractions from the other stuff are you um are you creatively satisfied with being on the the mission you know like some people regard i mean do, do you regard comedy as a as a vocation could you do anything yeah. else you know i don't i don't know because it's it's whenever i talk about that with comedians you know my my take is you, you, i have no idea what it would be like to not know what comedy was so if I left this now to do anything else, I would always remember comedy. Mm. I'm sure if you erased my mind, I could do another thing, <laughs> I would think. It's an extraordinarily literal answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steeped in horror movies, yes, if I was fully lobotomized. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I could see, like, you know, I really enjoy the fiction writing I'm doing, so I'm not anywhere near ready you know, to, 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 to go, oh, I won't do comedy anymore. I'll just do that. But it's plausible that one day maybe that would be a thing or who the hell knows? I don't know. You know, if I ever got an acting gig on something I really cared about that was very regular, maybe. I don't know. But 
I, I, I don't know. I don't think those things will happen just yet because I think my focus just isn't there. My focus is on my stand-up and, and performing these things. What happens to punks as they get older? Well, it depends. <laughs> Hopefully you become like Henry Rollins, you know, where he's just a more enlightened version of his younger self, you know. You know, I love no effects for that reason. You know, they're like, I love that they're still sort of the party band and whatever, you know. It's like Fat Mike, the lead singer and bass player, just went into detox. And look, I, you know, if the guy's sick, I want him to get help. I don't want him to die. But there was a, a sigh of relief when I read, like, that he was like, no, I'm not going sober. I'm just detoxing. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, cool. You know. Do you need, when you say so relieved, do you kind of need him to still be going hard? Do you need that as some kind of like a totem? It just helps, man. It just helps to have people out there that aren't like everybody else and that are still saying go fuck yourself in their own way. And I don't think there are a lot of people out there like that, you know? So I, I love that there's, you know, I love that Ice-T is on uh, uh, Law and & Order and a household name and, you know, has, has like middle-aged housewives watching him every week, yet he still says stuff in the press that makes people furious i love it it's like yeah keep fucking doing that shit man so whom are you most who is when you say go fuck yourself who are you saying it to who's the biggest target group that you have in mind is it like people that you used to go to school with or is it people that think that their perspective and opinion is the right one don't fucking tell me how to think don't tell me what I'm allowed to say. Don't tell me what I'm not allowed to say. Let me have my own moral code. Let me have my own ethical code. And go raise some kids if that's what you want to do, is teach people, okay? Or go be a teacher. But don't fucking come into the entertainment business. Sit here and tell me that, you know, these jokes aren't okay. This person is off limits. You can make fun of this guy, but you can't make fun of that guy. Fuck off. You know what I mean? Fuck off. You're lame, and you're protecting yourself. It's transparent. It's self-interest. That's all it is. And it's completely transparent. Is it, is it any more or less self-interested than a comedian on stage espousing his own point of view? Or her own point of view? Yeah. It, it's more... Because the difference between that and what I'm talking about is you can get on stage and say whatever you want, and I have the right to listen to that or not listen to it. But once you start taking it into a public forum and using your notoriety or celebrity or whatever it is, or even your Twitter followers, whatever, your platform, whatever that platform is, to start telling people how they need to think and how they're wrong and all this stuff, it's like, hey, you know, Nobody's closets are out of reach, okay? And What do you mean by that? You, you've all got skeletons. Yeah, right. You've all got skeletons. And you're going to sit there now like you've never done anything wrong in your life or you've never done anything questionable or whatever. It's like, no, you're worried about your paycheck. 
You're worried about your empire and your legacy. It's like, that's not what you should be worried about. What you should be worried about is the person you are, how you're treating people on a regular basis. Fuck how, you know, the magazines depict you. How did you treat the guy at the coffee machine earlier today? That's what's important. You know what I mean? So, I just don't like, I just don't like people, and I'm not one of these, you know, the the PC police. I'm not one of those people at all. You know? And trust me, I've been attacked far more harshly by the right than I have by the left. But I've been attacked by the left, too. It's both sides. Well, fucking tell me I need to take my country back and Trump is saying all the right shit. Don't fucking tell me. Personally, you can tell me that. That's fine. You and I can have that discussion. But once you start telling me that on this big platform and trying to tell me, like, what I'm not allowed to say or whatever, or if you say that to me and then I disagree and then you, you scream at me. You know, I tweeted the other day. Hey, everybody, remember, don't vote. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count. And everything will still be shit. You know, some fucking asshole tweets at me, you know. Oh, another libtard. It's like, yeah, did you see the tweet before this <laughs> where I made fun of Hillary? And did you see the other tweet where I made fun of Trump? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, dude, it's a f- I'm making a fucking joke, okay? But if you want to have a discussion, let's have a discussion. But don't come at me like I'm not allowed to say that. You know what I do mean? You, do you think comedy is more vulnerable than it's ever been? Hmm? Do you think comedy and the, the, the practice of the comedian is more vulnerable now than it, has, than it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago? Because I do feel like all, all of the time now, so often people... Like the, the absolute, the usual discourse of the day online is someone gets leapt on for a joke. Like, like I think well, today, I, Ellen, Ellen, did you yeah. read this? Yeah, she tweeted yeah. a picture of her and Usain Bolt. He's giving her a piggyback in the sort of Photoshop thing and everyone's jumping on it and saying it's racist. And it sort of feels like I'm not remotely surprised to see that Ferrari kick off. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what happens. People make jokes and then the internet explodes. I have a sort of contradictory opinion about that. You know, I think number one comedians have brought it on themselves because they let people in. They, that's, how do you mean let people in? They let the authorities in. Instead of sticking to their to their ethics. They apologized. And continuing to be the uh the uh, uh rebel rebellious types were supposed to be, they were more interested in in getting into movies and standing next to famous people. And once you start doing that, yeah, well, you, now the, now the, the, the devil's in the church. You let them in, and, and now now those people start playing ball. So that's trickle-down effect, whatever. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it is we're supposed to be rebellious. You're going to get in trouble sometimes when you say shit. But those are the people you say, go fuck yourself to. You know? I realize Ellen's in a very different position I'm in. She, you know, she's got a, the biggest talk show ever or whatever, you know? So I realized, like, and look, that could be her dream, you know? That could be what she wanted more than anything in the world. I don't know her. 
If it was, great. I get it. She's going to try to protect it or whatever. But, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I people walk out of the show. I think people walk out of the show almost every night. Not a lot. A few. And it kind of gets to you a little bit. But several comics here have said to me, and I haven't had a comic in the state say this to me in a while, but a lot of comics here have said to me, oh, dude, that means you're, that's good. That's good. You don't want everybody to stay. You want, that's great. You're not, you're not trying to make people leave. They're leaving because they're not feeling it. Mm. That means you're really being honest about yourself, you know? So, you know, I've had plenty of those people that have decided to walk out, write letters to clubs and try to get me banned and all these things and... And I've had plenty of people on Twitter do the same thing because they didn't like an opinion I had about such and such. You know? It's like, fuck off. I'm, fuck, fuck all of you. <laughs> you know? That's my motto. Fuck all of you. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to uh, ask you about, and um, I don't know how sensitive a subject this is, so we can not talk about it if you don't want to, but I only discovered this morning, I was doing some sort of last-minute Googling, this kind of sustained Amazon review kind yes. of hate campaign of which you are the target. Yeah. That's it's awful. Yeah, That's it's not awful. great. Do you want to, do? I mean, do you want to talk about it? Or are you sick of talking about it? Do you not want to I kind of mention care. it? I mean, it's, we can talk about it. I mean, it is what it is. It's so, as I understand it, tell me if I've misunderstood. As, a, as I understand it, um, a bunch of fans of the Opie and Anthony show have sustained a campaign against you whereby as a kind of uh, they're basically bullying you they've decided to vote they're giving you one star reviews on everything that you put online to massively bring down the public perception of you and hit you in the wallet is that if I understand yeah, is that- it was it was uh, Anthony from Opie and Anthony and I had a had a beef beef for a little while we're fine now we've made amends and put it behind us uh, so but but when it did happen uh, people on his side of the argument started attacking, putting up a lot of fake reviews of my albums. Uh, so I was like, well, guys, if you're going to do it, get it done. So then I started telling people, like, give me one-star reviews. Go ahead. I'm going to have one star for every album. Let, I mean, if we're going to do it, let's do it. I don't want this fucking three-star bullshit. Get them all down, you know? Uh, and doesn't matter. Made more money off my albums in the last two years since that's happened. Is that right? Yeah. Great. <laughs> there we go. That's the silver lining. Like exceptionally more. Okay. Well, because of all the publicity of that. I don't know. It? I'm not questioning it. <laughs> Checks are coming in and they're fat. I'm just like, all right, cool. <laughs> Nobody great. cares. You know what that's I mean? Great it's to like, hear. who cares? It's like. Because when I read that, I was like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. I can't, I can't imagine but think, oh, Jesus, what if someone did that to me? How could I cope? That's like, you know, that's, that's a big part of your income. And if everyone's, I mean, obviously, if that helps, it's in some insane, random internet way. It is what it is, man. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe they'll turn around one day. I don't know. But I'm like, more interested in the psychology of it. Like, did you feel bullied by that? That's bullying, right? Uh... I mean, yeah, by definition, sure. But, you know, it's like, I take my lumps, man. I never fucking whined about it, you know? I never went and did 
a BuzzFeed piece or some bullshit about it. Look what's happening. This is unjust. Is, is that more because, I mean, to do that would presumably fuel the fire and loads more people would do it? I mean, is, you, is your silence on the subject or your kind of taking your lumps, is that, is that partly because that's going to uh, help it just die away sooner? No, or is it partly because... Because, again, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> okay, fine. You want to give me one-star reviews? Let's, let's go. And they did. And some of them are fucking hilarious. I've read them on stage. Right, right. I've okay. read them on stage to to hilarious results. They're funny, man. Some of them are really funny. You know, and like, yet the part of you who, when you have been doing shows up here and had some walkouts, the part of you that that gets to when you saw that does that does get to you. I mean, there's, for all that the kind of the punk rock aesthetic. I don't just mean the aesthetic, well, that's but different. the belief. You know, that's different. The only reason it upsets me not it doesn't upset me. The only reason it, it disturbs me slightly when people walk out is not. That's a very different thing. That's me saying, man, I'm really, I'm not trying to offend you right now. I'm yeah. really trying to just be honest about how I feel about certain things. And the fact that you're walking out makes me feel like you're not listening to me or you're not hearing me or I'm failing to translate my point. That's why that bugs me a little bit. Um, but it's par for the course. It is what it is. Like I said, if you're going to say things the way, about how you feel, you're going to, there's going to be people you rub the wrong way you know but yeah it's like you know what are you gonna do man it's it's all part of it it's all part of it you know lena dunham i guarantee you has as many hateful one-star reviews as i have she's just also got way more people <laughs> that gave her five-star <laughs> reviews so it balances out uh i happen to have a i had an abundance of people coming at me hard with one-star reviews in a very concentrated period of time. So, um, well, That's funny, man. Are you happy? Yeah. Yeah, man. As happy as I can be. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been a guy that's like... I'm always kind of... I'm a guy that's always going to be fighting bouts, having bouts of depression and stuff like that. Nothing too serious, but... You know, I have anxiety. I have depression. There's a reason I'm on Prozac. There's a reason I was in therapy for two years, whatever it was. For have the you completed seventh that now? time in my life. Yeah, sure. There's a reason I meditate. You know, I do all these things because I have struggled with these things. But overall, yeah, I'm happy, man. It's like, it's, it's, look, dude, we're sitting in Scotland. We're sitting outside at a coffee shop. It's a beautiful day. You care enough to want me to talk on your podcast. I'm flattered. I have a show tonight. There's going to be 18 parties to go to after the show. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be girls to talk to. There's going to be comics to laugh with. What is there to be angry about right now? You know, now that being said, I'll get angry eight more times today. Because, <laughs> like, my internet's not working right or whatever. You know what I mean? Or the guy... It's standing at the top of the staircase looking at his phone as I'm trying to get into my show. Yeah, shit like that sets me off. But, uh, but yeah, I'm happy, man. It's if like, you had, from the, from the different experiences of uh, therapy and, and meditation and all the rest of it, what would be the one, what's the, what's the kind of magic bullet for anyone? Like, is there, is there one thing you could say to people who are in a similar position? Like, the most, the most powerful lesson you learned about how to get out of it? About how to get out of the funk? Yeah. Uh, there isn't. It's going to work differently for everybody. 
mine my solution was a combination of things. I needed Prozac, and I still do, to clear the noise out so I can look at things with a with a clear perspective and then decide if I'm going to be upset about it or not. I didn't have the ability to do that without Prozac. Everything was bad first. Meditation's been incredibly helpful in helping me become patient, more patient, accepting. You know, even doing this today, like talking about things I don't like about comedy. I have people in my head that I think of when I'm saying that, but I just used to be in this place of that would make me so fucking angry and I would just, and it would take everything in me to not name names Hmm. and then usually I probably would have. It's just like, I'm not, that's just not where I'm at anymore, you know? Um, Therapy helped too. Um, You know, but look, man, for some people it's praying. I don't know, you know? For some people it's coloring, you know? It's just like whatever it is for you. For some people it's not doing anything. Some people really like their anxiety and anger, you know? (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, so I don't know, you know, it's, it's, you, you got it. There's a lot out there to, to research. I would, in, in, I would, uh, uh, I would tell people to do that. I, I really would. You know, if you're, if it's not, you don't have to just live with it. The world we live in will make you feel like you're wrong. You're not wrong. We live in a fucked up world. People's voices are way too loud when you don't, when you haven't asked for them to be. Okay, people can come into your life at any moment now and throw it into a tailspin if they really wanted to uh, with, with zero effort. There's a reason you feel anxiety. There's a reason you feel anger. There's a reason you start to feel rage. The, the, so, so go out there and explore all those things that you can explore so you can start to figure out how to control it and not let your... You know, I would say your... Th- your brain's the classroom. You're the teacher. Your emotions are the students. Your students can get out of control, but you're st- always the teacher. You can always get control back of the classroom, but you have to know how to do that. You can't scream at the students who are throwing spitballs and, you know, whatever else they're fucking doing. You know what I'm saying? So go out there, man, because these people don't want you to figure it out. They don't want you to figure it out, you know. The people that are inciting you and making your life miserable and all this shit, they don't want you to figure it out. They want you to they want you to stay confused and angry and, and feeling like it's your fault because that's one less competitor they have now. You know what I mean? Final question. You can interpret this however you like. What would you have on your comedy gravestone? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, no, wait. I do know. I know exactly. I've literally said this. I was in San Francisco a year ago with Artie Lang, the comedian Artie Lang. There's also a promoter manager in oh, really? Australia named Artie Lang. No way. No, okay. I was with the, the comedian, the guy that used to be on Stern Show and who's hilarious and one of the greatest dudes of all time. I was in... Uh, San Francisco with Artie 
Uh, I he came out with me. He was not drinking. I was drinking. He was kind enough as a sober man to partner me to bars for the night. <laughs> That's a big good guy. Yeah, and uh, I was drunk, and I was like, I want to, I want to go get a massage at one of these rub and tugs, you know. <laughs> and uh, and we went, and he paid for it, and I go, and I was like arguing with him at the door. I'm like, stop it! You're not paying for this. Paying for this, and he goes. He goes, I wanted to say on my gravestone, I bought Joe DeRosa a handjob in San Francisco. <laughs> and I go, I wanted to say on mine, Artie Lang bought me a handjob in San Francisco. <laughs> so there, that, that's exactly what I, what, I, what I want. I don't know if it'll make it onto the gravestone, but that'd be great, wouldn't it? So that was Joe. Thank you very much to him for coming onto the show. And apologies once again that I mislaid the file and it's taken me so long to dig it out. Next week, I think it's a biggie. Next week, I think it's a biggie. I'm not going to promise, but I think I'm going to put Reg Hunter out next week. Reginald D. Hunter, who I think is on tour at the moment. Um, and uh, it is an absolute knock-me-down blinder of an episode. You're going you're gonna to love it. It's really... We get very deep very quickly, as you might imagine, and it was one of those ones where I sort of found myself thinking, shut up, Stu, don't interrupt, don't say anything, just keep listening and keep, keep uh, creating that sort of environment where somebody can share quite as much as he did. I'm, I'm really excited about it, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, so thank you, as ever, to Daryl for his masterful constantly masterful and handsome work uh, in producing this show uh, it, it he makes my life uh, so much easier than it might be and I would like to publicly recognise that with a little hashtag thanks Daryl I'd like you all to join in that which I know means that the same five of you that join in all the hashtags will do that too but you know that sounds more than I've done so before so there's that if you've emailed me recently I will get back to you soon I've been on holiday as you know at my brother-in-law's wedding and very pleasant it was too lots of fun being in the Greek island of Santorini you're just walking around this incredible kind of Star Wars rabbit warren landscape of beautiful little white villas and hotels just going bride, 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 bride. It's um, it's 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 crazy. Apparently, Greek weddings are a thing. There's a film and everything. I genuinely didn't know. You know that film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I didn't realise that that was based on the fact that Greeks are particularly good at weddings, and lots of people go to Greece for weddings. I just thought it was. It was a movie about a wedding that happened in Greece. Once again, Goldsmith shows up his incredible disconnection from culture. What is that? I'm sure I've spent my life... This Okay, we're into post-Apple now territory, so goodbye for the podcast. Speak to you next week. Probably it'll be Reg. If not, someone excellent, Anne Edmonds, is burning a hole in my hard drive, so maybe we'll do that one. Um, but uh, that concludes the show. Stick around for the post-Apple, which is now... <laughs> So that, I, 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 several things. I'll get this email in a second. The point of the, the wedding, I've, oh, I know I lost my thread from earlier on, but um, that's what happens when you walk around a room talking to a phone. Um, the, the point was that uh, I do feel very disconnected from stuff. You remember the Andy Daly episode when I <laughs> loftily explained to brilliant comedian Andy Daly that the reason that bit of the show didn't work for me the other night uh, and didn't work so well at the Edinburgh Festival, I suspect, is because we don't know who the Rockettes are. <laughs> and then a million of you emailed me to say, well, obviously we know who they are because we all watch 30 Rock. And I mean, that's a particularly galling example because I watch 30 Rock and I love it, but I'm so busy. The way I enjoy things is I sort of let the stuff wash over me and I'm just too busy sort of giddily 
giggling and frothing about the, the individual jokes to remember or take in any of the material. I've not been, any of the information I mean, I, I've not ever been one of those people that can tell you when a film was made. You know, someone you go, you know, The Godfather, and they go, mm, 19, I, I can't even improvise something, 82, I don't know. So many of my friends can do that. They can tell you what movies people have been in. They can tell you the, who won the Oscars one year, you know. Um, they can tell you, for example, that Greece is a popular destination for weddings. I just think a lot of stuff has passed me by. And I do every so often think that purely from the sake of having a career, I should know. I should know what people are talking about. I remember doing the warm up for uh, an horrific uh, daytime TV show many years ago. And um, and someone was I think it was uh, I don't remember names. I want to say Stacy Solomon. Is that a thing? Um, someone who had been an X Factor type person was on the show and their sister was in the audience and uh, whoever this person's name was, their sister was in the audience and um, and she said, oh, I'm so-and-so's sister. I happened to chat to her at random in the audience. I said, well, who are you? And she said, uh, I'm so-and-so's sister. And, uh, and I went... Oh, really? Who's that? And everyone laughed because I wasn't watching X Factor, right? I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud. But I do wonder if this is a thing I kind of adopted at school, which is to sort of deliberately disengage from cultural things as a means of somehow winning. Do you know what I mean? As a means of like, well, good, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I don't want to be part of a competition where people have to try and prove in conversation that there's something is more important to them than anyone else and I, I suspect through that arguably if not noble then at least morally <laughs> neutral goal I think that's ended up that was a survival thing at school where to, to not feel like I was less uh, culturally educated than anyone else to not feel like I, I was missing out you know I always had to do that with sport people talk about people in football and I'd go yeah I don't know I don't care la 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 and I, and I'm, I don't care I'm fine with it and I'd kind of turn that into a a shit weapon <laughs> you know some sort of crap foil shield I would make the decision that look I don't care about it so it's fine and um, and uh I think I may have overdone that. I think that's a less helpful strategy in adult life. How many times, <laughs> if I ever get around to an autobiography, it will be some sort of neater version of this, of this some sort of literary neater, uh, literarily neater version of the sentiment. Uh, I, what seemed like a good idea as a survival technique at school is arguably of less importance now that I'm an adult. <laughs> if I could condense that into three words, pow, that's the title. So... Anyway, um, I'm slightly gabbling, but I'm quite enjoying gabbling. Someone remarked on Twitter, I think, and I will get back to your to a week's worth of, of tweets when I uh, later tonight, hopefully. Um, but someone remarked on Twitter they enjoyed the uh, the rambling stream of conscious nature of the uh, the, the exercise freakout postamble the other week. So uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed that as well. I think I'm probably a bit more honest if I talk fast. Bang! Autobiography title <laughs> for the audiobook, which has which is set at double speed or set at sixteen times speed. So you've only got a limited number of times you can slow it down inside your uh, your audiobook app. Now, um, yeah, it's better, right? Better when I talk shit at high speed. So um, uh, my point is that that's quite a weird thing, isn't it? To have decided as a as a kid to go, yep, don't watch it, don't know. Sport, don't care. No, not interested. No, TV, don't watch it, mate. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, 
So I, maybe I should try and uh, become a little bit more educated. Or, or, and this is what someone would say if they were a, a comedy expert and had listened to an awful lot of these podcasts, they'd go, no, that's not this Acaster said to me couple of years ago on a plane <laughs> he said uh, that's funny actually james is so successful now that that's a name drop how lovely um so clang yeah james Acaster said to me on a plane that these that this is this is very smart i'm gonna have him on the show again i think hopefully soon and uh, and we'll talk about this he said those those things that you feel we were talking about some aspect of my set that i do we just we were on the way to do shows together and um and he said to me that those things that I consider uh, weaknesses in my personality are traits. And that's, that's the thing. That's the material. That's the basis. That's the voice. Um, and uh, I thought that was really intelligent. So, <laughs> so there we are. Um, arguably, I think what that, the conclusion I've come to is that it's okay to sort of despise culture and deliberately not watch anything or pay attention. Because that's who I am. <laughs> Great work, everyone. Thanks for your time. Um, really good. But that's uh, interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I managed to glad I managed to just pop something to just cap that with an actually intelligent, interesting thing that someone else has said um, at the end of that, thus making a long, uh, confused ramble somehow apposite. If that's the right use of the word apposite. That'll do... Oh, no, I was going to read you this email. I will quickly read you this email. That would, that would have been a good place to, to get out. But this is so lovely. I won't name the guy, and I'm redacting some of the details. But this is lovely. I wanted to write to say thank you. Dear Stu, I'm not going to redact my own name. It's addressed to me. I wanted to write to say thank you. I'm not any good at getting gushy, but I want to make a point. I don't think you mentioned much on the pod. That is a way to grab my attention in your first two sentences. Um, I enjoy comedy, but I'm not a fantastic. Uh, but I'm not a, a fanatic. I've only been to a handful of comedy shows, and I don't plan to go to loads more. Ooh, now, now I am intrigued. You often talk about the show as a springboard that encourages people, aspiring comedians, to get up on stage and perform. It's. I'd like to highlight that it reaches broader than this. I'm an aspiring architect with a passion for pottery. The link between these and comedy seems thin, but whilst I was working in a dead-end architecture office wishing I could do pottery, I was listening to ComCom and I found the conversations with comedians hugely relatable. I was struggling with working in a job that had sucked any love out of architecture and was questioning my life's path. I couldn't bring myself to do anything other than trudge in and out of work. Ugh. I struggled in a classic privileged white male kind of a way to express this to my friends, family or girlfriend. However, I continued to listen to you and found the humour and humility of the show my main source of support. This is really lovely. Thank you. The process of so many of your guests mirrored the process of design I remember from my BA. It reminded me that process could be exciting or invigorating. Easy to forget. In particular, the Rachel Paris episode struck a chord and I've since listened to it a number of times. Brilliant, brilliant, wonderful Rachel Paris. Anyway, whilst this did not entice me to the stage, it enticed me to the pottery wheel. It had reminded me I needed to be doing things, to be creating things and sparking interest and excitement. To cut a long story short, it was the push I needed to go to pottery classes, where the catalyst, oh, which were the catalyst for rediscovering my creativity, and eventually applying to master's courses. I applied to institutions I never dreamed I'd be accepted to and felt that just applying was a massive step. Somehow I was accepted by both and have recently moved from the UK to blank to spend two years studying a master's in architecture. This is a dream I've been harbouring for the last five years and a dream that never felt further away than when I first discovered The Comedian's Comedian. Thank you. And there's, there's some really nice stuff, which I won't read because it's really nice. Oh, no, that, and then, um, so, uh, thanks for reminding me, he goes on, that sometimes life is hard, even if it's tough, comedy can, can be a relief, and creativity is, for me, important in and of itself. Learning to connect with being, to reconnect with being creative without feeling a pressure to be good at it was crucial 
to applying for bigger things. Comedians Communion may not always convince people to be comedians. For me, it just convinced me to have a go, to express myself, to be creative. So thank you. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Um, that makes me feel very happy. Um, and I agree with you. <laughs> not in terms of like the, the, the show, obviously. I try to remain uh, humble, read the show. But I agree with you that that's life is hard even if it's tough comedy it can be a relief and creativity that's the point creativity is important in and of itself and it's really easy to lose sight of that whether you're a comic uh, trudging back for some cock awful gig or an architect thinking oh sod this or god forbid I'm sure this happens a surgeon taking out another fucking pancreas it is it's hard even no matter what level of anything you're doing it can just be hard and it can be repetitive and it can get dull and it can, you, even if you're lucky enough to do something you love, and I'm sure people find joy and love in all sorts of their work, not just these kind of, uh, you know, supposedly high level things like uh, uh, surgery and architecture to a far lesser extent comedy. Um, whatever you do, I'm sure you can forget that you love it and actually just stepping back and going towards something you love. I think is uh, that's really inspiring. Thank you to uh, mystery person who wrote this. I don't want to uh, name this gentleman uh, or where he, which country he ended up training in, because uh, I didn't ask if I could read this out. I sort of assume that unless a writer puts, unless someone who emails the show says, "Please don't read this out," I sort of assume that's okay. But I thought I'd redact some details. But thank you, mystery guy. <laughs> I really had an impulse there to just name you in the place. <laughs> but thank you. Oh, oops. Um, thank you, because uh, I, I obviously I'm very uh, touched by that. That's that's lovely, and I'm very pleased that you feel that way. Um, I'm sure Rachel will be as well, and um, and that's just really nice to hear about someone going, oh fuck this, maybe I want to do this, and then pushing hard and working and letting it obsess them, and. Um, and reconnecting with that so thank you that will do for now thank you uh, you for listening you the listener um, thanks you the listener for doing that thing you do and um, next week more stuff this is good I got a really nice final thought I had a really nice email recently from someone who said they've been listening for ages and the last few or the last however many they've noticed the it's gone up a gear oh, thanks mate I, I fucking thought so <laughs> I'm not every single one. I think they're all good, but some of them, I've, I've been really pleased. I've been feeling like, oh, I've come away more frequently thinking, oh, that was a good one. So, um, good. I hope you're enjoying them too. And <laughs> that was an example of me being humble about the podcast. All right, bye for now. Speak to you soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.